Do you know what separates a failed business exit from a highly profitable one? Do you want to maximize the value of your business? The Business Exit Stories podcast is the solution. Through a collection of stories told by the business intermediaries who facilitate those transactions, you'll receive the key takeaways from successful and, yes, some not-so-successful business exits. Now is the time to begin to position your business for an exit by implementing key strategies designed to maximize your enterprise value and help you achieve an exceptionally profitable exit. Today we have with us Anthony Citrillo, a CPA and M&A advisor based in Manhattan in New York City. Anthony has a number of transactions that are rather unique to share with us today. To begin with, Anthony shares how a family-run business with decades of history with an elite clientele that provided cleaning concierge services for Broadway theaters by cleaning stage garments and costumes for all of the theaters in the Broadway Theater District in New York City. They went from a high-flying business to bankruptcy and eventually to a successful exit. The family had operated this business for decades and grew it to nearly an eight-figure-a-year business and was flying high. But when COVID hit and most of their clientele left the city and all of the theaters closed, the pandemic hit the business very hard, eventually forcing it into bankruptcy. While this may seem like a disaster, you'll see how a skilled advisor can really make lemonade out of lemons. Listen closely to this deal story to learn how a business was structured to not only salvage the business from the brink of extinction, but to generate millions of value for the family on the sale of the business. In another transaction, Anthony illustrates the importance of having a management structure in place. When you have this management structure, this can facilitate a deal by creating additional demand for the business. Next, you'll be fascinated how a deal can be structured to allow for a second bite of the apple. The phrase, second bite of the apple, is a phrase that is particularly relevant in the M&A world. Anthony shares the details of a transaction that was created that literally generated additional millions of dollars in value by structuring a deal that not only increased the initial value upon exit of the business, but doubled that amount again by allowing for the proverbial second bite of the apple. This was all made possible by having the right buyer and structuring and aligning the interests of all parties to achieve the eventual exit of the business to a private equity buyer. Finally, we often hear of sad stories that are driven by an unexpected illness or death of the business owner, and these stories don't always end well. In this case, because of the skill of an attorney who thought outside of the box and was able to convince the family to retain an M&A advisor who was able to create an exit value versus closing the business which the family was about to do. Listen to how Anthony was able to facilitate this exit and create a happy ending for the family. You're really going to enjoy the different twists and turns in the deal stories that Anthony shares with us in today's episode. Okay, this is Marvin L. Storm with Business Exit Stories. Today, we're here with Anthony Sertrello. Anthony, would you take a few minutes and introduce yourself, talk a little bit about what part of the country you're in, and a little bit about your business and your focus? Sure, Marvin. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. company is the NYBB Group. We are located in New York, 
We have an office in New York City as well as on Long Island. I uh, personally uh, am a CPA and a Certified Exit Planning Advisor, which is a SEPA. Um, our focus really business-wise is in what we consider the lower middle market. And we work with companies on the sell side for with revenues of anywhere from one to $50 million typically. And on the buy side, sometimes even higher, depending on what their, their need is. Uh, four functions we provide, one on valuation, two on the sell side, three on the buy side, and four exit strategies. And a fifth one, which we're not the specialist in, but when it's part of the transaction, we, uh, we handle the commercial real estate side of the, of the business. And we started in 2003. There's three partners. Uh, we have six intermediaries. And um, um, I'd say most of our transactions uh, initiate in the, in the New York metropolitan marketplace. However, we've handled transactions throughout the country at different times. All right. So that's a good background for us. So why don't you jump in and share a couple of transactions with us that uh, had their challenges, maybe made it across the closing line, maybe didn't, and some of the unique processes involved here as we get involved in understanding the transactions that you've brought to the table here. Sure. So uh, the first one I'd like to discuss is one that we recently completed, and it was in the HVA AC business, which is heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. And it's a service business typically uh, with, um, uh, and this one happened to deal with mostly residential customers. So anybody who has a heating or an air conditioning plant in their business, uh, this business would be able to service those units, replace those units, and, um, and, um, and handle anything that's related to those units. Uh, it was owned by two partners who are older gentlemen, older meaning uh, they were in their late 60s. They started with the company uh, and bought it out from the existing um, founder of the company back probably over 40 years ago. They were active in the business in terms of being techs. They were out there fixing things. Uh, even though they were the owners of the company, they were just guys who can fix anything. And they hired somebody internally to kind of be the controller of the company. They just wanted to make sure that they were out in the marketplace and that they were the ones kind of facing the customers. So any, any transaction or any kind of deal that went on was something that they handled themselves. They typically estimated a lot of the deals and they did a lot of repairs. They did have a crew. They had um, six, six or seven techs out there and they had uh, an ins installation crew. Maybe they had eight techs and six installation crew. I'm not sure what the numbers are. So they had people out there in the marketplace. They wanted to sell the company because they were, um, they were up there in age. They were 68 years old, and they said, gee, I, I don't think I'm going to do this the rest of my life. So were they 50-50 uh, partners? They were. They were 50-50 partners um, in business. and um, Was it mostly commercial or was it residentially based business? So they, did, they did almost 100% residential. I'd say 90% residential. The commercial was only for people whose residential they did who owned businesses where they needed commercial work. That was our criteria. They were housed. They were in one specific area, typically in the Long Island area. They they handled the marketplace there. They didn't want to go too far and wide. They had customers. They had service contracts. It was a pretty well-run business from a, a business standpoint, from a from a service standpoint. Uh, internally, when you don't have the owners involved in really running the everyday operations and are out there fixing things, it's a little more challenging. And in this case, they weren't really the founders of the business. They were techs working in the prior ownership, right? And it had been around for how many years? 
Oh, the business has been around in its current name over 60 years. Oh, you know. And these gentlemen have owned it for over 40 years. So, in fact, one of them started as uh, somebody who swept the floors in the place when he was younger. Oh, rags to riches story, huh? Yeah, it really was. It was really, it's, a, it's a great story, and uh, it, it worked out well for them. And in the HVAC business, they tend to rep a specific brand uh, of equipment? They do. Um, many of the people can fix almost any brand. Uh, these guys were train dealers for the most part. Uh, they used uh, they used some Mitsubishi units too uh, for these split systems where you see now. But their their main dealers were, were train dealers. They were very they were well they were well schooled in in that in that um, specific brand. It was a high end brand. They liked the performance of the brand, and um, it was a source of referrals for them because when train needed a good installer and they needed a good service person in the area, they went to some of their premier dealers and they were one of them. Sounds like they were pretty, probably pretty old school having been in the business for 40 plus years. They probably weren't highly computerized and things of that nature. Talk to me a little bit about that. No, they, they still wrote their orders up on, on paper. Uh, uh, the industry now has, has moved where most of the, uh, the, the companies are, are on iPads and, and the inventory control systems built into it. These gentlemen were still, you wrote out the ticket, you wrote out the amount. Um, they accepted cash or, or check only, no credit card. And uh, for the most part, they collected at the point of service. And so did a lot of their, their techs and their installers. And it worked well for them because they had they had generations of sometimes the same customer, the same family. And their motivation to exit was really age-driven, retirement-driven. Age. Yeah. And you know what? They Fortunately for them, they, they were prepared financially to exit, so they didn't need every nickel from the business. Um, um, but um, there maybe their expectations for what the business would have yielded them were a little bit greater than what it ended up being. Uh, I think uh, for a couple of reasons uh, – you know, when you have a business where you have two of the main, the owners being techs out there fixing things, um, anybody who's coming in saying, well, you know, who's going to take their spot when they retire? They were pretty large producers for the company. So was it easily marketed when you went to market uh, with the financials pretty well locked down? Financials were real good. Um, they owned the property. We had to impute rent because they didn't pay themselves rent. But the financials were clean. They had a good accountant. Um it, it, it preempted us from really getting interest from some of the larger players because they look at the business and they say, gee, we have to replace you. Not only one person, but they have to replace two people because this is a partnership. And two owners typically produce for the uh, probably at the rate of maybe more than two normal employees. Right. Because it's their baby. So we had a, a dozens of people who basically kind of just stepped aside and said, that's a non-starter because it's very hard to find techs. It's hard to find anybody who wants to repair anything in this day and age. So they said, gee, even though we like your book of business, we like your territory, the fact that we can't really fit it into our, 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 our book of business now, kind of just we have to just pass on it. So that, that really reduced the market value of the business substantially. It did. It did. And um, so ultimately what, what happened was the person who bought it was somebody who was uh, interested in um, in uh, in exiting uh, in, in 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 buying a business where the owners were exiting, he had an existing staff of folks who um, he thought could take care of the business that the um, owners were leaving. Uh, he had a commercial and a residential piece. He wanted to expand the residential piece, and most of uh, most people realized it's a lot easier to expand if you 
doing an acquisition sometimes than trying to do it organically. So this gentleman uh, purchased the business. He had some other lines of business too. And um, interestingly enough, he didn't really want the owners to stay on for a long time. They stayed on for about 45 days, which is very atypical, especially for people who knew most of the client base. He may have been a little bit you know, cocky or arrogant, the buyer, but uh, he thought he could do the job. And the controller internally had no interest in staying on beyond one month anyway. So he took over the business. He seems to be doing pretty well. The owners, unfortunately, because of the way it was structured, really took probably a 35% hit on, on really what they would have gotten had the business been positioned properly and had they not been the, the, the guys out there fixing things and they had more of a management structure. So I guess the real takeaway on this, Anthony, is really the ability to maximize the value of the business is really driven by what the owners actually do in the business and whether they have a management team in place where they can step aside and let the management team grow the business. And that would have opened up the market to a lot of other people. That would have opened it up to a large cadre of companies that would have been interested in it if they hadn't been so integral to the business because you had to replace two owners. And as you said, those owners were probably much more dialed in on the efficiencies and the quality of work that they did than a normal tech would have been. Plus, you said that the real estate was involved and they weren't paying any rent. So why pay myself rent? You know, we'll just take more money out of the business. And so a buyer looking to buy the business has to impute rent. And that really dropped the value of the business substantially. It, it hurt the business. As you said, a 35% discount. And, and you know, what's interesting, and it caused them to take probably twice, even more than twice as long to sell it. So because, you know, you have to go out and, and, and uh, your marketplace shrinks. Uh, it's a small industry. People tend to know what's happening in different companies. So it's hard to ma- maintain confidentiality in a lot of ways. But having said that, you know, they were happy because they didn't remember, as I said in the beginning, they didn't need the money to exit. So they were happy to kind of finally exit, uh, not have to close the business down. And also uh, they kept their employees. Um, uh, it looks like the employees who maintain, re- retained the job, which is something that they wanted to. All right. Anthony, that was a great takeaway. So let's jump in and talk a little bit about another transaction that had its challenges. Okay, so we had a retail cleaner, and we don't do a lot of retail businesses. This happened to be a very high-profile cleaner that um, we were referred to by an attorney, and um, they had um, a pretty large, um, well-known location um, that was um, in the city, and um, uh, they wanted to exit the business. The owners were the parents who were uh, in their mid-80s, and uh, the uh, children were, one, one, of the child, child, one of their children was actually running the business on the operations level, uh, on the actual physical, plant, physical level. The other one was just overseeing the financial, and the third one wasn't interested in anything at all, not, not involved. And um, this was right before uh, the COVID uh, crisis uh, started and they were doing okay. They had some issues because... Um, Just out of curiosity, Anthony, how long had the business been around since the owners were in the 80s? Were they long-term operators? Oh, the business had been around for, for probably 45 years. Right in Manhattan? Uh-huh, right in Manhattan. 45 years. They were well known as uh, not just a cleaner, but a dry cleaner. They did restoration. They did a lot of uh, cleaning of Broadway um, um, costumes. 
they um, they performed a lot of service. They had a pretty good concierge service. It was a high-end service, a uh, very large delivery service in New York City. I imagine they were in one of the wealthier parts of Manhattan. Even as you're describing it with Broadway and everything, they, they'd been around forever, and they were probably the go-to company to get anything done. Go-to company, and it was almost a, a badge of uh, honor to actually have them to, to have people know that that was where you were using where you were using as your service. So it was an interesting uh, uh, situation. Of course, you know when you have you know significantly high income folks around you, uh, the price points don't matter as much. It's more about the the service and and people just want to make sure that they are getting delivered uh, the the uh, the merchandise that they want at the time they want it. And then they had some some. Um, some well-known um, celebrity-type clients as well. Um, they did some of the Broadway business. Um, so they had a very good kind of real high profile out there in the city. And um, the, uh, the internal um, operation was a little different. They had a, a cleaning plant in a building that they owned in a, in a different area. So they did their own cleaning as well. Uh, so they had that, that building and they owned the real estate there. They rented in the city in a pretty expensive neighborhood to say the least. I won't go through what the rent was, but I was like, even my eyes popped and I know what New York City rent goes for. Um, and uh, the, uh, the, the the parents really said, you know, we really have to sell the company because it's not going in the right direction, number one. We're in our 80s, number two. And um, we just feel it's the right time. So I think they, they were having some internal uh, squabbles uh, between siblings as well which happens oftentimes when one person tends to be more involved in the business and the others aren't. So the one person who was involved in the business was getting paid, getting paid very handsomely. And um, I think that was causing some angst among the family and also for the business. The business um, had a precipitous drop in business, especially when COVID hit. Uh, so when, when once the, uh, uh, the folks in New York city kind of, kind of disappeared and uh uh, moved out of the city and uh, there wasn't as much traffic there. No, when you're staying at home and not going into the office, you don't have to have your clothes cleaned as often. You could probably wear the same shirt every day, right? <laughs> there were there were no Broadway shows. There were no Broadway shows going on. And so I would imagine that their cash flow took a big hit. Cash flow really got, really got uh, diminished, to say the least. It got to the point where, you know, they ended up filing for bankruptcy, as it turns out. And, uh, um, you know, the steps to get there were a little bit, um, you know, uh, a little challenging to say the least among the family. But um, they realized, though, and we, we realized, too, that they had solid assets because, you know, their name was so well known that the, 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 the intellectual property associated with the name had some value. Um, they still had assets and they're still operating uh, in their existing location. Their customer list had a lot of value. Um, their ability to do business had a lot of value. And the third thing they had value with is the real estate where they had the cleaning plant. So the first thing they actually did before any kind of bankruptcy is they outsourced the cleaning because they said they wanted to free up. We wanted to free up the, the real estate so that if that had to be sold as a separate entity, that wasn't uh, a contingent part of the transaction. So now we're having the cleaning done off site. 
that worked out pretty well. So often when you get in situations like this, just from my experience, is that the temptation, especially with 80-year-old owners and they have real estate that's separate, the kids aren't really all that dialed into the business and probably don't want to continue with the business. The, The temptation is really to wind it down. Give me some of the dynamics of that thought process. I mean, was that part of what they were thinking? Um, you know, I, I think they, they didn't think they had any other options. So, you know, winding it down was something they really did not want to do because it was so well known and it was the parents' baby and the parents were still alive. So to just have it go away, I think would have been disheartening at best. You know, it, it would have been really a, a tough situation, but they were thinking that way because they, quite frankly, ended up having a difficult time paying the bills. Okay, so if they're thinking that way and they're 80 years old, what was the dynamics that caused the shift to have a different outcome? Good question. So we looked at the situation and we said, look, you have you know assets that are value. We had been marketing the company and we had a few different takers who were interested in the business. A lot of their competitors who were interested in their business backed off because their business had had fallen so precipitously as well. So they said, gee, I don't want to be any more engaged in the industry than I'm in in right now. We did have one person who had a different type of business model, thought he could leverage the name and kind of expand the business, um, not just in the New York metro area, but throughout the country. And he said, look, I'd like to be able to utilize, number one, the name. I'd still like to operate in New York City. Uh, Can we make something happen like that? So we um, spoke with the owners and we said, look, and, and they had filed for bankruptcy at that point. But they said, look, we'd like to be able to own on one side, you know, they had intellectual property in the name that was worth worth money. That was, you know, who was it worth money to? I guess somebody was willing to pay, but, you know, it had some obviously uh, uh, appeal. The second thing, of course, there were the assets in the business that and the operation and the entity itself and, and, the, and, the, and, and the ability to do business in that location. So ultimately what happened was um, you know, they filed for bankruptcy. They got some, some relief from creditors at that point. And as part of the deal, they were able to buy the, uh, the, the, the actual, the, the children of the, of the, uh, the 80-year-olds ended up buying the intellectual property <clears throat> as one transaction. The person who wanted to expand the concept bought the actual location and the assets. And um, the real estate was a separate piece that ended up being sold it's in the process of being sold now to just an investor who just wants property, who wants to build on it, has nothing to do with the uh, the, the cleaning industry. Um, and um, the, the transaction actually is going to be a, a multi-year, probably a 10-year transaction where um, there's a small payment up front and there's going to be a larger payment as they go forward because the owners who own the intellectual property are participating in the transaction and are going to get a royalty or an earnout as the uh, the buyer develops more locations and and leverages the 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 name in in different locations. Okay, so let's uh, step back and take a look at how this transaction sort of came together. So you went from a situation where COVID directly impacted the business. I mean, you're you're doing a lot of cleaning for Broadway shows and high-end customers, and they leave the city, no Broadway shows going on, cash flow drops precipitously, they have an expensive lease that they're taking care of, from a retail lease. And one of the options on the table is, hey, you know, we're 80 years old, let's just wind it down, call it a day and go home. Not a great outcome, but certainly something that was an option. 
And so because I guess you were brought in by an attorney, you got your heads together and proposed a rather unique and I think compelling structure in which you chopped this up into three different types of transactions. You sold the intellectual property, which is the brand and the trade name that they were operating under. You sold the retail location and continued to operate there, the assets of that location. And then you packaged the real estate up and spun that out. And so the buyer that came in is going to expand the brand, continue operating that location, and the real estate is being sold off. So something that could have been worth zero other than the real estate, the result is going to be a multi-million dollar sale over a number of years. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes. And you know what? And, and this, the buyer was happy because he actually limited his risk in the transaction because he didn't put a lot of money up front. And he's going to be obviously engaged on the back end with the uh, the uh, the existing owners who have the intellectual property. You, you know, it's interesting, Marvin, and especially in the New York marketplace, we have found that... Um, we do a lot of bifurcated sales because the business itself doesn't carry the weight that the property does. And the property has so much value with developers that there's no need to have that business in that location. So you almost have to sell the business and the property separate often. And, you know, so this was just a little, uh, little, uh, a little different take on it. I guess we turned uh, lemons into lemonade to a certain extent, right? Well, I, I think so. And I think the big takeaway here, a couple of things that stand out for me anyway, is that bankruptcy is not necessarily a bad thing. It may have a stigma among certain people and attitudes, but properly structured, a bankruptcy can facilitate a very positive outcome, which it did in this case. It put a kind of a stop on the creditor issue and allowed you to restructure the entire business into a transaction where when it came out of bankruptcy, uh, the buyers came out with something that was of value that they could leverage and continue to expand. And the sellers were able to uh, get a payout of millions of dollars over a period of years. So that that is a great outcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Worked out fabulously. All right. Well, let's move over from one extreme where you're talking about bankruptcy and the devastating impact of a COVID situation here with a good outcome, relatively good outcome, I should say. And let's talk a little bit about a transaction that you've been involved in that had a really great outcome. Sure. So we had a service company. Um, they were a uh, equipment servicing company, um, everything from kitchen equipment to um other equipment that would be in um, in commercial facilities and um, mostly uh, involved in in uh, the refrigeration area in refrigeration and some some of it was a little HVAC and it was a father son business father started the company son was running the company father was still very involved in the company <clears throat> about <clears throat> oh five years ago I guess um, there was somebody came knocking on their door who was interested in buying the company they weren't ready to do anything back then. The company ended up disengaging. So the, this person that was knocking on the door, this was a large company, someone that was doing a roll-up or had a formal acquisition program? So it was a Fortune. They were a Fortune, I guess, 200 company. Um, they had seven folks in their M&A department, merger and acquisition department, specifically looking for acquisitions all day, every day. And they identified this company as something that they wanted to be as part of their, their deliverable. They also... Um, had had a had, a, had a, a connection with supplying equipment and other services to um, a lot of the same customers that these folks did repairs on. 
So, um, and then, you know, the, the seller, the, the, who, who became the ultimate clients of ours and the sellers weren't really prepared. They hired us to kind of um, help engage that potential buyer, package the business in a way that made sense, look at the financials and try to, you know, kind of negotiate on their behalf as well. Well, it turns out the seller had different ideas. They liked the company, but they decided not to really pursue the vertical as much. Had nothing to do with it. So that deal kind of went away. And then two years later, the um, people who ultimately sold the, the, the people who owned the business came back to us and said, you know, we kind of thought about that transaction. And we go, if that would have went through, that would have been pretty nice. So they said, we'd like you to market the company and see if we can get a suitor for the company. We packaged the company up. This was a good, well-run company. It uh, had a father, a son who were really at the helm. They had controllers for a few different corporations that were part of their overall operation. Was it the reason they came back to the table is not only a cash out type of situation, were they really motivated to grow the business or were they just ready to get out? So, yeah. So part of what I was saying is, is so the father was in his late 60s and he said, you know, I have I've built this thing. I don't think I want to continue doing this. The son said, hey, listen, without the father helping me, it's too stressful for me to run the company. I don't want to do it alone. So you had the two mainstays in the company who said, you know, this probably isn't something that long-term we're going to grow it. We're not going to necessarily double it. And we all know if you're not really in it to grow it, you're probably in it to shrink it to a certain extent. Not that you purposely do it, but it happens. Yeah, you take your eye off the ball. It's not going to continue bouncing forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, as it turns out, you know, it's in a high demand industry. You know, people, there are a lot of companies, a lot of private equity firms out there who love companies that are in um, the repair space, especially with service contracts. And this company, and especially with commercial business, this company really checked all the boxes. They were a commercial servicing company. They had some strong contracts with some well-known clients, especially in New York City, um, and they um, and they they basically you know have 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 done very well. They had good financials. They had kind of a strong financial position, and um, they had the management and kind of the wherewithal to kind of number one run the company. And the owners, although they wanted to exit. Um, ultimately, they were persuaded to stay for a while, and we'll kind of go into how that happened. When you actually packaged the company and took it out to market, did you put a price on it? Did you run an auction? Who came to the table? What was the motivation for those companies coming to the table? Well, because we sensed a, a strong market for the business, and it 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 had a reasonable amount of EBITDA, um, we went out on a bid basis auction. You could call it a bid basis, and we. Um, once we went out, we probably had, I think we had six letters of intent from different companies, most of them private equity firms or strategics, but the strategics typically were even owned by private equity. So it was their platform company that they wanted to add on to. And some people just wanted to be in that space. So they made offers that varied. And um, without giving the actual numbers of what the company did, the offers for this type of company would typically provide a multiple of, let's say, four and a half to five times EBITDA. EBITDA is earnings before interest and taxes and amortization. This one actually ended up getting a multiple of six. And um, and a lot of it was because it was well-structured. It had had a good reputation. It had service contracts. And, you know, when you create competition, you tend to drive the price up. 
and the competition really drove the price up for the company. Now, one of the things that happened too is when companies are bought by, let's say a private equity firm is buying a company and um, they have other companies similar to it. So they have maybe have a platform company and they're adding it on. Oftentimes they may want to sell the larger company, which they add your company onto. In this case, they, that's what their plan was in the next 18 to 24 months. And they wanted the owners to stay on, number one, to run the company until they sold the larger company, so the smaller company internally. <clears throat> and then they said, listen, what we'd like you to do is we'd like you to retain some ownership in the company. And um, the owners agreed. They retained about 15% ownership. So they got paid 85% of their company, 15% went and got reinvested. What that does is two things. One, it gives them cash out up front for the 85%, and it gives them that 15% reinvested in the company so that when they sell the larger company, they get, I guess we call it a second bite of the apple. They get another payout down the road. Maybe it's one or two or three years down the road. These guys were okay with it as long as it was only one or two or three years. It was going to be any longer than that they wanted to get out. Well, that's an interesting structure that was put into place, number one, because of the type of company that they had and how well the company was run, even though the owners are probably not highly motivated to continue to push the company forward to double the value in the next five years or so, let's say. They still had a good company that was run and they got six times instead of four and a half to five times the multiples on the earnings. But in this particular case, as you've explained here, they left part of their money into the private equity firm and the company that the private equity firm was positioning for an exit a year or two down the road. And so they were probably going to perhaps double that 15% or maybe triple that 15% upon the eventual sale of the holding company or that the private equity firm was positioning for an exit. Is that kind of how the structure came together? It is. And um, the interesting part is in order to, look, nothing's guaranteed, right, Marvin? But we we did a little reverse due diligence to make sure that the people we're reinvesting our money in were running a good operation. So we actually checked with some of the people who have sold to them in the past to see what their reputation was. And it came out to be fabulous. They got a second bite of the apple, which was really kind of a creative value by leveraging that 15%. They really got a high leverage on that because of what the actual long-term or I guess intermediate term of the private equity company was. So everyone's interests kind of lined up. And when you have that kind of alignment of interest, good things can happen. And based on reputation, it probably would happen again. Worked out fine. Yeah. So uh, we should have all our transactions end up like that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but, uh, you know, so it's a a great process if you have the company set up in a position that that can take advantage of that. And also, if you as the, as the, the operator of the company are asked to stay, if you're willing to do that. Oftentimes, owners say, listen, I'm selling the company. I, want to, I really want to go out the door. Here, you know, they were willing to stay because now, don't forget, you're working in a company that you are not the primary owner for, 
right? You are not you 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 are now a minority shareholder in your own company. Yeah. Well, yeah, having that equity stake and knowing that it's a limited window out there makes it a little bit easier to swallow that pill it for does. an entrepreneur it that does. hasn't worked for anyone in a couple three decades. All right. So let's wrap up here, uh, Anthony. You've had some great transactional stories that you've shared here with some insightful takeaways for our audience here. I'm sure that there are those out there in our audience that are taking notes and may even identify with some of the circumstances that they find themselves in as they think about exiting down the road here. So why don't we wrap it up with uh, one final story here that had some interesting twists and turns to it. Yeah, so we have it's a short it's a a shorter story. So we had a, a company that uh, was in the testing business and um, run by a fifty six year old gentleman who was well known in the industry. And uh, when you say testing, describe what type of testing. So they did a couple of things. They they did some some testing of of soil and some um, ground type of soil. Uh, number one, they also. Um, did air testing. So, for instance, when you get an HVAC system installed, especially on the commercial side, somebody has to test and certify that the airflow is consistent through all the vents and all the ducts. They have a device and have a certification program for that. So anybody who gets an HVAC system installed needs to have this test done in order to actually have it signed off. And it's pretty interesting, especially now, given what's going on in the COVID era, you know, there's a lot more emphasis being placed on airflow and clean airflow and consistent airflow. So they're kind of in, in an interesting business. Was this pre-COVID, this discussion or the sale, was this pre-COVID? It was pre-COVID, okay, uh, the discussion, the sale. Um, I think uh, it got done right before COVID, so it, it was a challenge. Um, but um, what happened was the owner um, – suddenly passed away and you know it was a very sad event nobody expected he wasn't ill so he had a heart attack when that generally that's the case yeah okay had a heart attack he was coming back from his boat he was he was boating he was a big boater he was boating one day the boat came in and and he somehow had you know he had a heart attack and uh he didn't make it and um this was a gentleman who would work from 5 30 in the morning till 6 30 at night five days a week religiously well-known. He was the rainmaker, ran the company. Um, I apologize for that. Um, but um, he, uh, he did that. And um, what happened was, um, you know, the interesting part is he wanted to um, make sure that he, um, his family really, you know what, the, his family was pretty much taken care of. So they really didn't quite care about what happened to the business, which was kind of surprising. Now, this was a multi-million dollar business that he had. And um, so what happened was he had, he, had, uh, he had probably 15 technicians. He had probably had uh, seven or eight people who were techs, a couple of, a couple of other people who were helpers. And he, um, the family said, gee, we, we just don't know what to do with the business. Their attorney said, "Well, let's try to sell the business." They said, "How can we sell the business without, without the without the family, without the owner, without the person who really was the rainmaker?" Um, they brought the deal. They, they, the lawyer called us and said, "What do you think you could do with this?" You know, it's interesting. The sad part about it is, ultimately, it sold, and it sold for about one sixth of what its value would have been. Okay, um, people in the industry. 
and it was strong financially. People in the industry didn't want the company. Well, that's a little unusual. I mean, the normal situation would be you'd go to a competitor and they would lap this up. I mean, this is an ideal situation for them. Strong company, great reputation. Sometimes there's a little more arrogance than that, Marvin. So most of them figure that if he's gone, these folks are going to come to someone. Why should I pay for the business? They'll come to me anyway. Because he was so integral to the part of the business. I mean, right. And if he's not there, he can't pass off the relationship because he was the relationship. So if he's not there, he can't hand off the relationship and say, hey, these are the guys you need to use. And if he's not there, these folks are going to have to go somewhere. So the industry basically said, we're not going to touch it. We ended up finding somebody who looked for an opportunity and, 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 and a gentleman bought it. He paid, He got a tremendous value. So the buyer that eventually came to the table was not someone from the industry. Correct. It was an entrepreneur, a founder, a mover and shaker that was looking for a specific type of company that he could leverage and bring his skill set to and grow, looking for the opportunity more than anything else. Correct. And he had been looking for a long time. He was a known buyer to us, and uh, he was in our database. And I thought when this opportunity came up, I go, you know, his name is Michael. I said, this would be something Michael could do because he had started other businesses. He had grown other businesses. He had the mindset for it. We just had to get him in there sooner because a lot of the techs were leaving. They were worried about their job. They were being picked off by the competitors. But he had a pretty loyal crew of folks who wanted to see the business survive. Um, his his um, family, he had a very large life insurance policy, the seller. So his family wasn't that engaged with monetizing the business. From what you're saying, they got the insurance payout because he had planned ahead in that aspect of his business. And they could have probably just closed up shop and called it a day. They were close to doing that. He had a 26-year-old son who was involved in the business only because he wanted a job. He really had his wishes and his dreams to do something else somewhere else. So this say he said, look, I'm free to go and go wherever I need to go. I have no interest in running the business. He wouldn't even stay for transition. So we had somebody who actually took all of the risk, right? He had all the accounts. He had jobs booked for the next six months that were under contract. So he knew they were in, but he took risk because he didn't have any real strong transition from an owner or even from the owner's son. He did have a well-known name. And um, to this day, he's doing pretty well. He hasn't, re- he hasn't restored the business to where it was, but uh, it's profitable. And, um, and uh, it's just... Uh, It's kind of a sad story in a lot of ways because um, it's the type of situation where if you were that person's son or, you know, sometimes people would say, gee, I wish I was adopted, you know, (laughs) and I wish I was involved with the owner where he can actually call upon me as the next in line. Um, However, you know, I think it's another situation where just goes to show if you do have a profitable business, you, you do have to plan for some kind of eventuality like that. Not that you expect it. Um, And, um, And uh, if you're the buyer, you know, you got to be ready for opportunity. Well, this is kind of interesting here. What I'm sensing as you describe the details of the business and how it was positioned and kind of the personality of the owner and the family and the son that was involved, we have a situation where he did some planning ahead, had an insurance policy in place on himself, which made it life a lot simpler for his family. And they, as I understand it, they were close 
to winding this down and closing it, but because they had you and some other advisors involved, you were able to reach into your database and to bring the right type of buyer for this rather challenging situation to the table and monetize that for them. And it was really thanks to their attorney. Their attorney was someone saying, you can't do that because the owner's name was Jim. Jim wouldn't want that. And the owner actually insisted that they try to find something to salvage the namesake, you know, the the, the business as it is. So I, I got to give the, the attorney credit. You know, a lot of times we don't give attorneys credit, right? But I think we have to give the attorney credit for really thinking out of the box and trying to tell, keep the family engaged enough to give us a shot. We had a very short window to kind of get it done. Yeah. So we have the attorney, we have you. But the, what I think is a great takeaway for those that are listening into this episode right now and this particular transaction is that you really need those trusted advisors and an advisor can make a huge difference and in this case made all the difference from really winding down the business and taking a legacy that had gone on for decades and creating an opportunity for someone else to come in and i would imagine that since this was a pre-covid transaction that with covid and air filtration systems going to be in a much higher demand probably for the foreseeable future that we're talking about a business that's going to have a lot of legs a lot of opportunities and you know someone that was a entrepreneur looking for an opportunity stepped into this situation with a minimal amount of risk and is it going to be able to pay out the family for their business but he's going to create an enormous amount of opportunity for those employees that remained as well as for himself. Advisors make all the difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been a delightful conversation, Anthony. I appreciate you taking the time. If there are folks out there in our audience that want to reach out and get a hold of you, what would be the best way for them to do that? So I'm at the NYBB group. So Anthony at nybbinc.com. And my direct phone number is 516-346-5272. And uh, it can be found in LinkedIn very easily as well. Okay, cool. All right. Well, this is Marvin L. Storm with Business Exit Stories. So as we wrap up this episode of the Business Exit Stories podcast, we'll see you on our next episode for more interesting business exit stories. Thanks for listening to the Business Exit Stories podcast. For more information or to reach out to today's guest, visit www.businessexitstories.com for more details. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast from your favorite podcasting platforms. And remember, maximizing business value at the time of exit doesn't happen magically. It takes planning.